Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, August 1st, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Wow, can you believe we've made it to August already? Last third of the year getting all lined up for us. Getting ready for that election that's coming up in November. Really excited about our Cannabis Radio Marijuana Election Night coverage that's coming up on Tuesday, November 8th. It's going to be huge, folks. Or as Donald Trump would say, it's going to be huge. We've got coverage, live coverage, from California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. We will have someone on the line from all five of the states at the campaign headquarters giving us the latest numbers as the polls come in on election night for those five states' attempt to legalize marijuana. We'll also have reporters in Florida and Arkansas on their attempts to legalize medical marijuana. Missouri, which we're crossing our fingers, should make the ballot. We'll have someone there as well. In Montana, there's two initiatives where they've got a reform of their medical marijuana to put it back the way it used to be in the good old days, and a repeal of medical marijuana, actually a return to absolute prohibition in Montana. Two things going down down in Montana. Then we've got in uh, North Dakota the possibility of a medical marijuana initiative. So we'll cover all of that. Ten possible states we'll be covering. And a U.S. territory we might be covering. We'll tell you a little bit about that in the Cannabis Radio News. And I'll be honest, I don't think I'm going to get myself a reporter out there. (laughs) That's a long ways away. And I don't know anybody, but we'll see what we can do. Uh... We've got all sorts of great stuff on today's show. As you know, it's Monday, and every Monday we get our chance to visit with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, one of the leading researchers on cannabis science, history, culture, and health in our Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch. You can get your questions in via our chat room right here on CannabisRadio.com. We've got all sorts of great studies and surveys to look at. Uh, We'll have Dr. Mitch give us all the latest news and take your questions through our chat room. At the end of the show... We'll have time for a radical rant that I am calling Hillary Clinton is the I-502 of presidential candidates. That's right, folks. We're going to talk about politics here on the Russ Belleville Show. I know it upsets some of you. I know you get a lo- I get these comments on my Facebook. They say, just stick to talking about marijuana. No, I will not. I'm a fully formed human being, and while marijuana is my primary interest... I have secondary interests, too. And when those secondary interests are going to affect my primary interest, as the presidential election will greatly affect what happens with marijuana, I think it's important for us to dig into that. So we're going to talk a little bit about it, how Hillary is the I-502 of presidential candidates. Also coming up on the show today, we're going to have our Government at Work segment, and we're going to talk about the Philippine Trump I don't know if you've been following a lot of this international news coming out of the Philippines about their new president, Rodrigo Duterte, but uh, this man gives us uh, a very scary look, a little bit of a foreshadowing of how bad things could get 
if the wrong guy gets elected president. So we'll take a look at that in our uh, government work. Also, we'll have a behind the headlines segment. The uh, Drug Enforcement Administration is trying to convince the American people that marijuana grows are the new meth labs. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to unpack that one. And uh, that all comes right after our Cannabis Radio News. In the headlines, we'll tell you about that U.S. territory possibly voting on legalization. We've got uh, pain patients getting some uh, getting some respect and love in Minnesota. We've got more synthetic pot overdoses, this time in Pennsylvania. we got a mayor in Massachusetts endorsing legalization. Project Sam has announced some fundraising for anti-legalization efforts and some municipal news from Maine. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Thousands of cannabis professionals convened this August in Portland, Oregon, to the city responsible for half a billion dollars in cannabis commerce. The Portland Expo Center hosts Indo Expo, August 6th and 7th. Indo Expo has seed to sale covered all weekend long with educational seminars and over 250 exhibitors. Lights, nutrients, trimmers, extractors, greenhouses, cutting edge grow gear, genetics, smoking accessories, and more. Free admission for buyers, store owners, and MJ industry professionals. Visit www.indoexpo.com. The Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You got me running. You got me hiding. Run, hide, and hide, run any way you won't let her roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me doing what you want me, baby. Girl, what you want me to do? Shut up and do a podcast as I want you to do. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. 
This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, August 1st, 2016. Saipan, Northern Mariana Islands. American voters are deciding on marijuana legalization in California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine this election. We may also get the chance to pass legalization in the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, a U.S. territory just southeast of Japan. Senator Sixto K. Igisomar pre-filed a bill that would legalize medical and recreational marijuana in one fell swoop, becoming the first U.S. jurisdiction to do so. Nearby Guam, another U.S. territory, legalized medical marijuana in 2014, but the Mariana Islands remain under complete prohibition of cannabis. If the Election Commission approves the bill by next Wednesday, voters there will decide in November 2016. If the bill is approved after next Wednesday, the vote wouldn't come until the November 2018 election. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today, pain patients in the state of Minnesota are now legally able to acquire medical marijuana products at dispensaries. The state's medical marijuana program was begun in 2014, but it took a year before legislators added chronic pain as a qualifying condition, and that law goes into effect today. Over 500 pain patients have already registered in July, the first month they could join the program. Patients may acquire their medicine at eight dispensaries located throughout the state. However, Minnesota law does not allow patients to use the herbal form of cannabis. Only non-smokable oils, tinctures, and edible preparations of cannabis are available. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Following a high-profile overdose case that sickened 33 people in Brooklyn, authorities in Pennsylvania are blaming synthetic pot for overdoses that have sickened 20 people in Harrisburg. Dauphin County District Attorney Ed Marsico states that a synthetic, branded as darkness, has sent its users to the emergency room with symptoms like advanced delirium, including one patient who had to be housed in intensive care. Synthetic cannabinoid use is up across the country since it is cheap, widely available, and doesn't cause a positive result on workplace and probation drug tests. Pennsylvania's new medical marijuana program doesn't allow patients to use herbal medications, and penalties for herbal marijuana possession still include jail time and a criminal record everywhere but Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Holyoke, Massachusetts. The mayor of Holyoke has become the first mayor in Massachusetts to endorse the initiative legalizing marijuana that appears on the November ballot. Mayor Alex Morse said in a statement that, quote, I could no longer tolerate a system that results in disproportionate arrests of African Americans and other minority groups, and frankly, has failed for decades to limit the availability of marijuana, end quote. Mayor Mo- Morse is opposed by the Commonwealth's governor, Charlie Baker, its Speaker of the House, Robert DeLeo, its Attorney General, Maura Healey, and the Mayor of Boston, Martin Walsh. All those politicians but the governor are Democrats. Morse's support is in step with his demographic. At age 22, Morse was elected as mayor and has now served three terms of two years each, and millennials like Morse overwhelmingly support legalization. Healy and Walsh are in their mid-40s, and DeLeo and Baker are in their early 60s. Alexandria, Virginia. SAM Action, the nonprofit 501c4 affiliate of Project SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, co-founded by a former Obama administration drug policy advisor, Kevin Sabet, announced today a fundraising milestone of more than $2 million dedicated to defeating marijuana legalization and medical marijuana measures on the ballot in seven states. 
The multi-million dollar commitment represents the single largest fundraising amount ever dedicated to fighting the legalization of non-medical marijuana via ballot initiative. Project SAM claims that none of the $2 million was donated by corporations, corporate interest groups, or people acting on their behalf. Sacco, Maine. Officials in Sacco are considering a proposal that would amend zoning ordinances to prohibit medical marijuana caregivers from growing the drug inside their homes. City Administrator Kevin Sutherland tells the Portland Press-Herald that the City Council enacted a moratorium on medical marijuana facilities to determine where such businesses should operate. Sutherland says zoning officials recognized it would be a public safety concern to allow in-home growing operations. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, August 1st, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you, and they earn rewards points. PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRust.com. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at an incredibly stupid statement from the Drug Enforcement Administration. I know, I should probably narrow it down a little bit. Uh, This latest story is that marijuana grows are the new meth houses, according to the DEA. Uh, They say that meth labs, you know, contaminate houses lead to spontaneous combustion and so forth. But now the, uh, the new meth lab is the marijuana grow. And according to the report released by the DEA in June, they say the proliferation of growing operations in Colorado has led to property damage and interstate marijuana trafficking. They point to people uh, uh, retrofitting houses by punching holes in walls, uh, jury rigging electrical systems, condensation caused 
by growing can lead to mold, use of flammable materials as hazardous to first responders, and so forth. The DEA concludes, quote, marijuana grows often cause extensive damage to the houses where they are maintained. Much like the meth houses of the 1990s, many of these homes may ultimately be rendered uninhabitable. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a uh, <laughs> take a deeper look at that. First of all, a meth house, a place where they are cooking up meth, is using chemicals that, in and of themselves, are combustible, harmful, dangerous, and uh, poisonous. The, the the process being used in and of itself, even if you do it perfectly, is dangerous. A grow house, on the other hand, can be dangerous if you do it wrong. If you wire it up badly, yeah. If you're careless with your chemicals, yeah. But the actual process of growing marijuana plants, done correctly, has no harm to the environment, to the neighbors, or to the home where it's being done. Now, I am not saying that these that there aren't some of these grow operations, illegal grow operations, where they, they buy a suburban house and they don't even live there. They just completely pack the house with lights and they steal water and they steal electricity and there's uh, too much humidity and mold comes along. And so, yeah, I'm not denying that can happen. But the question, DEA, is to ask yourself, why is that happening? How come nobody ever buys a suburban house, outfits it with a shit ton of grow lights, to grow tobacco. Why does that not happen? It's not that people don't like cigarettes. A whole lot of smokers still out there, even though it's gone way down. Why is it that nobody retrofits a house and installs a whole bunch of high-powered grow lights to grow wine grapes and to produce wine from those, some alcohol? It's not that people don't like alcohol. Plenty of people like alcohol out there. But it seems somehow, DEA, that nobody has the incentive to retrofit a residential home for the growing of wine grapes or tobacco. Because there's no profit in it. There is zero profit in it, folks. Because wine and tobacco are legal, and if you want to grow them for profit, you can get a license, you can get a farm, you can get a brewery, whatever you want to do, and you can do this legally. And it's done at such volume that the prices are low enough that it's almost impossible for someone to undercut it. Happens a little bit with cigarettes, especially in places where they way overtax cigarettes. But for the large, for the, for the most part, doesn't happen. And certainly, even though the cigarettes have an underground market in the retailing of them, there is no underground market in the production of them. There's nobody converting tobacco grow houses. So DEA, if you are really concerned that marijuana grow houses, the illegal marijuana grows that are stealing the electricity, stealing the water, ruining the homes are such a big danger, you ought to do some research on what method is the only method that is proven to reduce the demand for such illegal grows? The answer is staring you right in the face. Four states and Washington, D.C. have already done it. Five more are proposing it. Now, the answer might be, well, we still find illegal grow houses in Colorado and in Oregon. 
Yeah, because there's money to be made in growing it and shipping it to Kansas and Illinois and Massachusetts and all sorts of places. Legalization has to continue and it has to happen on a national scale. And eventually you will find all the illegal grow houses go away. It's so simple. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. All right, folks, it's 20 after 420 in Denver, Colorado. Thanks for the advice, uh, President Bush. I got to say one silver lining of the uh, 2016 election so far is uh, my opinion of former President Bush in comparison to Donald Trump (laughs) has risen greatly. (laughs) Uh, We'll be right back. Maui Waui. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strain stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Oh, lady marijuana, I'ma tell you something now. But a game for your phone gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Growing green to generate more green. Talking with multi-cup award winner Maya Elizabeth. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. I've always followed Whoopi, and I think she's fantastic. I've followed her advocacy over the years. Tell me a little bit how you think partnering with a mainstream, high-profile figure actually benefits the cannabis community as a whole. I have infinite respect for Whoopi Goldberg. I wouldn't just partner with any into that kind of thing. I'm into cannabis medicine, and I'm into making quality products that people can find relief from. So to hear that her vision was actually the same, it's been beyond a dream to manifest. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower dispensary operator or a newcomer to the field your cannabis needs cannabis finance boot camp for information on upcoming events visit cannabisfinancebootcamp.com reforming america's marijuana prohibition laws takes education lobbying and voting From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. 
Today at Government at Work, I want to take a look across the ocean to the nation of the Philippines and their new president, Rodrigo Duterte. And this ought to scare anyone who is a student of history and who recognizes a, a, a rise in right-wing type fascistic nationalistic violence. This Duterte guy, when uh, uh, he was running for president there in the Philippines, had all sorts of kind of red flags that should have set some people off. For one, uh, there was a case, uh, a a famous case in the Philippines and involved uh, a high profile rape that, that went down. Uh, it was a kidnapping and, and, and they were holding hostages and there was like 16 people held hostages and there was a, a bunch of these, the women that were hostages that were raped. And it's a big, long story. But basically, the, the controversy is when Duterte, a presidential candidate, was asked about this, his quote was, was I mad because she was raped? Yes, that's one of the reasons. But she really was beautiful. The mayor should have been first. End quote. So you got a guy here, presidential candidate, joking about rape, basically showing that he has little, uh, little respect for women. There's also a, a case where Duterte made a joke about his friend who is physically disabled and a senior citizen, making fun of disabled people, huh? And uh, he implied, Duterte implied that because of the disability, his friend should just commit suicide kind of a joke there. joking uh, you know you're 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 crippled you should just kill yourself hmm does that sound familiar presidential candidate makes fun of the disabled interesting um he was divorced or he was annulled he had a, a wife elizabeth zimmerman they got an annulment in the uh, papers on that annulment as there was uh d- you know psychological uh, evaluations going on the uh allegation is that uh, duterte was diagnosed with Narcissistic and antisocial personality uh, disorder. Hmm. A former wife who points out her ex-husband was a narcissist and antisocial. He also engaged in, in violent behavior and, and, and much womanizing. Uh, that was the uh, allegation for why there was an annulment. He was violent to women and he was a womanizer. Gee, does that, does that ring any bells to anybody? thinking about the elections. There's also a uh, rumor and some uh, evidence that Duterte might be involved with the communist party of the Philippines and the militant wing of that party known as the new people's army. Hmm. So the, this presidential candidate somehow had strong ties with communists and, and militants, you know, people like Vladimir Putin, right? Hmm, does that sound familiar at all? There's also um, reports that uh, Duterte, who is a multimillionaire, by the way, uh, was shielding and hiding his assets and liabilities as are supposed to be in the Philippines, legally mandated that you disclose. You know, like how presidents here disclose their tax returns so people know where their finances are and, and who they owe favors to and such. Duterte had that problem too. Doesn't that sound interesting? And then Duterte says that if the Congress 
tries to impeach him. Now, this is while he was running, folks, while he was running for president. Duterte said he would close the Congress if it tries to impeach him. He would shut down the Congress. Now, the biggest controversy of Duterte is that this guy now, this President Duterte, has called for, he's a law and order, tough on crime guy. Law and order, tough on crime guy. And he has called for, while he was running, he pledged to kill 100,000 criminals in the first six months of his, of his uh, uh, term. Promised to kill 100,000 criminals. He says he'll, he'll dump the bodies in Manila Bay and there'll be so many bodies in the bay that the fish will grow fat. And um, in the past, uh, when uh, it was alleged that he was a part of uh, killing 700 people, he replied no to the New York Times. It wasn't 700, it was 1,700 people to the New York Times. And he has suggested killing criminals to uh, address the crime problem. He said, quote, it is going to be bloody. I will use the military and the police to go out and arrest them, hunt them. And if they will offer a violent resistance, thereby placing the lives of law enforcers and the military whom I would task for a job to do, I will simply say, kill them all and end the problem. And more specifically, President Duterte has called on the execution of drug abusers and drug pushers, drug traffickers. Duterte has called on the police and the federal forces to just kill them, just, just shoot them and kill them. He has promised that he will pardon anybody that gets brought up on uh, charges on such a thing and that he will pardon himself if brought up on war crimes or any sort of uh, uh, human rights abuses for doing such a thing. Already, 200 to 300 people have been just shot down, killed in the Philippines. And they think that's an undercount because that's only the count of who the cops and the feds have killed. There are all sorts of these uh, uh, vigilante groups out there that Duterte has also encouraged to just go out and kill drug users and drug dealers. And they have killed dozens, hundreds of people as well. It's gotten so bad that 60,000 drug users and drug traffickers have turned themselves into the authorities rather than face being executed in the streets. So when people are telling you to be afraid of a Donald Trump presidency, this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. The political climate is at a fever pitch, and the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the cannabis liberation movement takes a huge step forward 
and Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News Team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments, ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the Cannabis Crusade. Join us Thursday, November 8th for Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. How are you doing, Dr. Mitch? Having a delightful summer. Uh, me too. I can believe it's August already. Kind of heartbreaking for those of us in academia. <laughs> oh, that's right. You got to get back. Uh, what classes do you are you teaching come fall semester? I'm actually taking a leave this fall to explore more clinical work. So if you need a therapist in the uh, Albany area who's not going to pathologize your cannabis. Uh, call Health Psychology Associates and ask for me. Oh, please do. Uh, you know, that's something I, a lot of us, uh, we ought to consider is, you know, I, I, people looking for mental health help that are cannabis consumers often run into uh, clinicians that will just want to drop you right in that drug seeker bucket. Uh, what's it going to take to get some, some change that way, some more cannabis-friendly therapists? Well, in fact, I've been trying to do this in the training here with our grad students and emphasizing negative consequences, not frequency of use. And it's at least sinking in on sort of the next generation of folks. But I'm noticing even in my practice, people are afraid that they're going to get sued, which I find just so comic as if some cannabis user is going to run out and start giving hand jobs to raise money for a habit or something. It just <laughs> makes, makes no sense to me. So um, I'm eager to keep spreading the word as best I can. Well, I got, I got plenty of cannabis if anyone's out there. Um, all right. Let's, let's go to our uh, studies. And if you've got questions, we're watching the chat room as well, and we'll get your question into Dr. Mitch. But the first study I want to do uh, – talk about, or I guess it's more findings, having to do with the, uh, the early cannabis trade routes uh, across, uh, across the Silk Road and, and the news being that there's been weed dealers for 5,000 years. I just love this, and I, I really love the way they you know, go back and actually find the evidence. It looks like certainly industrial hemp is going back this far, and maybe uh, some might dare to say, you know, even back 8,000 years. But then the the pollen and the pressed resin and things like that, I mean, come on, that had to be used medicinally. So I I love the thought that uh, basically our current dispensary owners are part of a 
potentially 8,000-year tradition. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. 5,000-year-old dealers. Uh, it, it, they would have been 4,000-year-old dealers, but you know dealers, they're always late. You know, it takes... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the study that's going around, I, I'm so glad I got you on to talk about this one because this is, getting, this is hitting you know, CBS News, ABC News, the big mainstream media. A study on secondhand marijuana smoke saying that it's deadlier than conventional tobacco secondhand smoke due to the way rats' blood vessels reacted. What, what can you tell us about this? This is kind of upsetting that they're willing to jump this far based on rodent data, whereas if we'd found out marijuana was less deadly this probably wouldn't have even been published um so they've got these poor rats in a really overdone secondhand smoke situation where i mean it sounds like they they're lucky they can see into the cage and yeah the recovery time on that sort of uh how their how their veins are essentially reacting and staying pliable is markedly longer than it is with secondhand tobacco smoke, but this is a far cry from anything involving humans or human cardiovascular health. And we've got large epidemiological studies suggesting that this is not really an issue in humans. And so, yeah, definitely, you know, don't hop on the exercise bike right after you've been uh, sitting sitting in a hot box. But but otherwise, there's there's really uh, more more smoke than fire here. I was concerned about this because uh, we've talked so many times about how firsthand cannabis smoke is so less harmful than the, than the firsthand tobacco smoke. And it, it kind of vexes me to think, how could firsthand be safer but secondhand be more dangerous? Oh, well, so it's actually on different, different measures. So this is uh, artery and blood vessel flexibility performance, sort of how, how flexible do your blood vessels stay. And that that one looks like cannabis is is in second place. Mm. But as far as just overall safety, it's way better than tobacco smoke from a respiratory irritation situation and for carcinogens. So this is just a a different dependent measure, so to speak. And yeah, what a surprise. Uh, Cannabis smoke isn't the greatest uh, on on something like this. But again, I feel like this is getting uh, way overblown. Yeah. And from a methodological uh, standpoint, the thing that jumped out at me uh, was a line that said something to the effect of, we expose the rats to the same volume of secondhand cannabis smoke that you might experience in secondhand tobacco smoke. And I'm thinking, what room is there that has as much cannabis smoke in it, other than maybe Snoop Dogg's, you know, den, (laughs) has as as much cannabis smoke as a typical smoky uh, tobacco room? Well, somebody who's got a whole lot more money for cannabis than I do. I guess so. (laughs) All right. Let's go to uh, this next study, a federal study that says medical marijuana laws calm cannabis fears. And I think they're referring to perception of risk. What does this tell us? So this is intriguing, but a little circular. So what a surprise. States that have passed medical marijuana laws uh, have people living in them who are actually pretty realistic in my mind, or at least less alarmist about cannabis's potential harm. Now, of course, it may have been that way before the medical marijuana law was passed. That's why the medical marijuana law got passed. But I sort of love the idea that, uh, in fact, as folks get familiar with cannabis by living in a medical marijuana state, they realize the sky really isn't falling and that uh, the plant is, is more 
of a plus than a minus. Mm, all right. Well, uh, I, I'm always uh, skeptical of any study that talks about the perception of risk when for so long the propaganda has said, you know, it's going to cause us to grow man boobs, destroy our chromosomes. Well, of course we perceive it as less risky now that we've got the truth. Exactly. All right. Let's get to uh, this study. This is uh, actually just a note of some research that's going to go on in New Zealand. $157,000 being promoted for uh, the study of cannabinoids effect on brain cancer. Uh, What do we know so far about uh, brain cancers and cannabis? Uh, So we've had some pretty compelling data suggesting at least some tumor shrinkage in response to cannabinoids and, you know, generalizing all the way up to primates so so it really seems like this is a a compelling potential use for the plant and i mean 157,000 bucks is is not a lot as as big grants go but they've got the chance to you know basically see if cannabinoids can kill some of these tumor cells in a very controlled condition and i'm super eager to to see these results and incredibly optimistic that we're going to find that uh, cannabis may never become your, become your standard cancer therapy, but it would certainly be uh, a nice adjunct to it. When I see a dollar figure like $157,000, it doesn't sound like much, although it might be more in New Zealand. I don't know. But uh, is there any comparable brain cancer research going on in the U.S.? Alas, not a thing. Hmm. I mean, so, not even close. So yeah. that's pretty telling. And is uh, you know of any other countries? Israel, perhaps. Israel has not been focusing on the brain cancer part per se, and in part I feel like, uh, as you know, as their citizens want, they're going ahead and, and going with the things where we already have the data and doing much larger sample things. So the PTSD work and the cancer-related chemotherapy, so not as a treatment for cancer so much as, a, as an approach to making other cancer treatments more palatable. We've got another story coming up about uh, the use of cannabis in the treatment of sports injuries. Uh, we've we've spoken about the Gridiron Cannabis Coalition. They're the ones uh, that are uh, examining this. And uh, what do you think about the, uh, the the possibilities of this, both from a uh, you know the clinical standpoint, could it actually help, and from the political standpoint, will it be able to get past these sports leagues? I mean, it's so harsh to think about this. I was just watching that that show with the Arizona Cardinals on Amazon and how these guys are just getting their heads bashed in, you know, week after week after week. And we already have markedly more data than a lot of drugs had to support preventive use that if they just had some cannabis right there on the sidelines, uh, if they, you know, if they take a, a knock to the noggin there, it would really, really help a lot. And the downside is, is incredibly slim. I sound like a total space case when I say this, but I think they would respond better if they'd actually had a chance to habituate to low doses of cannabis throughout the season. So if they did have to uh, take a quick hit off the vaporizer after taking a big spill, it wouldn't impair them very much. But now it sounds like I'm actually saying, hey, maybe people ought to have a little tincture every night while they're playing in the (laughs) NFL. And that's unfortunately, I think, the best solution to all this. Mm, And then, but you know, it's it's a shame. We've got uh, uh, something like twenty of the NFL teams play in states that have medical marijuana, and if Missouri and Florida pass their medical marijuana initiatives this year, there'll be twenty-four of the thirty-two teams. Two-thirds of the teams, or is that three-fourths? Uh, math. Uh, a lot of the teams will be in states where medical marijuana is legal. Uh, the sports leagues are just the, the commissioners here are just so far behind the curve. Uh, it almost seems like they're even farther behind than than the 
the uh, politicians are. Why? Why are these sports leaders and government leaders so far behind the public sentiment? So this is so sad, but there's that perception that athletes are role models in a way that's just completely inappropriate. And in fact, uh, you know, any of these guys could, you know, have 90 kegs delivered to their houses at any time and nobody would bat an eye. So why would it actually be such a big deal for something that can actually be helpful? And I think they're all just quaking in their boots about uh, federal legal status. And it just, it just makes me kind of sad that it's really the result of a lack of education. All right. And uh, our final story here has to do with a, uh, some controversy over uh, some research uh, that went on in uh, Vermont with respect to uh, marijuana. What's the story on this one? I mean, the bottom line here is anytime you ask uh, somebody to do a big review of all the cannabis research literature, it's either going to end up being 325 pages long or it's going to end up being focused on some key issues and potentially biased. And I'm afraid that's pretty much what happened here so that when uh, they asked folks to, to go ahead and review this literature, they got the bad news, they got the alarmist statistics, they got uh, less than up-to-date evidence based on studies that have uh, subsequently not replicated. And of course, then it made it look like there's no need for uh, the state to change their laws. Mm, All right. So uh, we'll keep our eye on that and see uh, what happens. And uh, of course, we'll be back next Monday with more on our cannabis Q&A segment with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. If you'd like to get your questions handled privately, you can always send them by email. The address is 420research at gmail.com, 420research at gmail.com. And uh, no classes from Dr. Mitch this fall, but if you're looking for a cannabis-friendly therapist in the Albany, New York area... Well, send them that email at 420research at gmail.com. Thanks, Dr. Mitch, and uh, we'll see you next week. Looking forward to it. All right, stay tuned, folks. We'll be back with the radical rant on why Hillary Clinton is the I-502 of presidential candidates. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAfee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes uh, someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're 
so far behind it's frightening and in a cyber war we can't hack into the chinese back in 1979 they started building cyber defense systems we didn't even think about it until 20 years ago I, i've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue the stoner jesus show live mondays wednesdays and fridays at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific or find the stoner jesus show podcast on demand at cannabisradio.com and stonerjesus.net peace bitches you're not high you're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Each year on my birthday, every American gets a cupcake. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, today in the Radical Rant, I want to talk about I-502. I-502, of course, was Washington State's marijuana legalization initiative. And it's the one that had five nanogram per se DUID attached to it. And it has no home grow. Two provisions that still exist to this day, four years later, and um, have further evolved through the passage of SB 5052 in a very you know awful state legislature has evolved to a, a situation that has reduced seriously the uh, medical marijuana uh, allowances for patients and the accessibility for patients so the reason I wanted to bring up I502 is I want to put this in the context of the 2016 presidential election and talk to you a little bit about how I come to these decisions, how, how I think the way I think, because really, if you want to put a fine point on it, I get paid to think. I wake up and I read stuff and I think about it and I watch and I research and I analyze and I calculate and I think about things and then I say them on this show or I write them down for some article. But at the heart of it, my job is thinking. That's all I do is think about shit and smoke weed while I'm doing it. Uh, so when it came to I-502, when I-502 came up, understand the context. We had just lost Prop 19, uh, 46% uh, two years prior. 2011, uh, there is a group called Sensible Washington that's pushing a really good legalization initiative really good stuff would be one of the best ones best one in the country probably had it passed and then there was the group that was pushing you know new approach washington was pushing i-52 far more restrictive 
far more restrictive and containing some pretty odious provisions in a per se DUID and no home grow. And when I-502 came, first came out, let me tell you, let me let you in on a little secret. When it first came out, I was no on I-502. I have this graphic. It's probably still floating around the internet uh, that I created that made fun of I-502. And, you know, said, uh, uh, I can't grow my own. Uh, five nanograms gets me busted. Zero uh something I can't remember. And then, uh, gotta be 21. I use the two for 21, all this stuff. So I, I was all ready to attack it, ready to go. And, and furthermore, my activist friends that I have to see every year when I go to Seattle hemp fest, people who I respect and admire and look to for advice and analysis, a lot of them were also against I five Oh two and, and very for the sensible Washington plan, you know, personally invested in it. So I had everything to gain in being no I-502 as far as being radical and being, you know, a firebrand and, and, and supporting my friends who were pushing the really good legalization initiative. But as time went on, it became clear to me that the Sensible Washington Initiative was not going to raise any money. It was not going to make the ballot. And it's therefore not going to do a damn thing for me. It wasn't going to legalize marijuana for me. It wasn't going to help at all. So then, I, so then I was forced to start looking at the I-502 and thinking, well, all right, well, no home grow sucks, but you can't home grow now. And a five nanogram per se DUID is bullshit, but I smoke and drive now and I haven't gotten caught doing it, so... My risk really isn't going up any. The consequences are the risk isn't increasing. And it would legalize marijuana. That's no small thing. Legalizing marijuana, ending arrests, and in the context of there not being any legalization states, the symbolic victory of of putting the, the flag in the beachhead and saying, we've legalized, was huge. And not just because... I live close to Washington, but at the same time in 2012, there was Washington, Oregon, and Colorado all voting on it. I knew Oregon was going to lose. It didn't have a shot. So it was up to Colorado and Washington. And if only Colorado had passed and left Colorado sitting all by itself in the middle of the country as the hippy-dippy Rocky Mountain High kind of a fluke thing, it was going to take longer to get Washington and Oregon legalized because with only with a loss in both Washington and Oregon in 2012, neither of them would have went forward in 2014. And then they'd be waiting on 2016. And, and without Washington and Oregon legalized in 2016, does California make the, the momentum to, to get there by now? Or the other four states? I Probably not. So it was hard for me because I was emotionally invested in being no on I-502. And I had principles and purity to maintain. You know how many articles I've written on the bullshit of per se DUID? How many times I've called out the junk science of per se DUIDs for for marijuana? And so I'm going to have to endorse something that runs counter to my publicly stated positions. I'm going to have to endorse an evil of a per se DUID and make myself look like a fucking hypocrite on all of the... uh, DUID stuff I'd written. 
Same for the home grow. I, I established a very strong personal position for years that home grow is the only way we can maintain our power over the tyrannical government or the corrupted 1%, the oligarchs, the corporations that would then have control of marijuana and we wouldn't be able to grow our own. I had set that position up too for a very long time. And so 502 comes up and is like, okay, so now I'm going to have to go out and publicly support this thing that has no home grow in it? How am I going to reconcile that? So I had a lot of pressure on me in 2012, leading up to 2012, as far as whether or not I was going to stand on this thing. And I finally decided that long-term, big picture, the symbolism of the first legal state and the practicality of finally ending prohibition at some level outweighed my purity problems with home grow and five nanogram. And so I had to come out and public support this and take a raft of shit for doing so from a lot of people who were my friends. I got friends that I haven't spoken to now in five, six years in Washington state over this. I lost friends. I lost standing. There are events I can't speak at in the Pacific Northwest because the people that run them are still pissed off at my support of I-502. I barely got my speaking spots for Seattle Hemp Fest in the past four years because of that stand on I-502. So I understand being emotionally connected to a better future of seeing true legalization and wishing and wanting and hoping and dreaming that, okay, if we didn't get it this time, maybe we'll get it next time. Maybe we'll move forward. Maybe, in fact, if we defeat I-502, that'll send a shot across the bow to all the corporate legalizers that we won't stand for it. You know, just like the 2015 Ohio thing. We'll show, we'll shoot a, we'll show those bastards. How dare you give us a legalization that wasn't perfect enough? We'll show you. And uh, so what did Ohio get? Well, they got a shitty medical marijuana that doesn't even allow smoking. And uh, what did California get when those Prop 19 people said, oh, no, this is not true legalization. It's too shitty. It's not up to our pure standards. What did they get? Six more years of prohibition. So when it comes to what changed my mind, what started moving me on this is when my friend Rachel Kurtz in one little comment on Facebook on one of my threads where I was raging Bernie or bust still, where she said, Hillary is the I-502 of candidates and Trump is the prohibition. And Bernie Sanders and Jill Stein and Gary Johnson are sensible Washington. They are Arizonans for mindful regulation. They are the Jack Herrer Initiative. They are MCLR. They are Bay State Repeal. In other words, they're not on the fucking ballot and aren't going to be. That's what changed my mind, is I found myself trying to defend an emotional and purity-based position. And I kept finding more and more my arguments had to keep using the if only and the magic bullet 
And all of that, we'll get them next time, and this will happen, and then it'll happen, and magical thinking that I find true legalizers throwing at me every election cycle to reject the corporate, corrupt, oligarchic, monopolistic legalization that's being foisted upon us by the, the leaders who did not listen to the little people and rigged the system. That's all the time we got for today, but stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is coming up next. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Take a seat, you're you take a seat, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seat, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tope. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about tope on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the snoopy, snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everyone. Time for Hour 2 Toker Talk Radio. Coming to you live and direct from beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where the skies are clear and blue. Mount Hood is beckoning in the distance. As we sit here on the 26th floor of the Ardea Condominium Towers on the south waterfront of the Willamette River. So glad to have you here. Boy, it's been a heck of a weekend, huh? Politics are getting crazy. Oh, and it's only just begun. We got this little respite here in August. Usually August is the slow month in politics, right? Usually not a whole lot happens in August. But already, you've got, oh man, Donald Trump just can't help himself, can he? <laughs> this new this thing with Kazir Khan, the, the dad who spoke at the convention about his son, the captain, Captain Khan. Gotta love that name. Captain Khan, who uh, was killed in action. The mom standing there. She's a gold star mother. And, and Trump just couldn't help himself, could he? 
Couldn't help himself. It's like, Kazir Khan gives this great speech about Donald Trump. You, I will loan you my copy of the Constitution. It was wonderful, right? And Trump comes back on it with, uh, looks like his mom wasn't allowed to speak, you know, trying to throw shade at Islam, you know, being, you know, uh, patriarchal, that kind of crap, right? It's just shocking. <laughs> it's like, wow. You have to like, you, you have to write algorithms to be that tone deaf. You'd have to have like special computer research. I couldn't even try to be that tone deaf. That's <laughs> amazing. But yeah, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about politics in this hour too. And here's my, here's my, um, here's my compromise with the listeners out there. Cause I know some of you are pissed at me. I know you are. I know you are. Don't blame you. I understand why you're pissed, <laughs> but here's my compromise is that I'll try and keep last rant, notwithstanding, <laughs> but to be fair, last rant was about I five Oh two. Uh, but I will try to keep the politics in our two. That's going to be my compromise. If you want the weed show, because I get you, I get comments on my Facebook page too. Go back to talking about me. Go back to talking about cannabis. <laughs> it's like okay, so I, that'll be my compromise. Hour one, we'll try to keep it ninety-five percent about marijuana. <laughs> I'm not going to go 100%, folks. Sorry. But uh, let, we'll keep it mostly about weed in hour one. But this hour two, this is going to be Toker Talk Radio, folks. And one of the things I've always said about Toker Talk Radio is it's talk radio for tokers. It's not necessarily talk radio about toking. We can talk about toke and toke while we talk. And we're going to talk about what's going on in the world, what's, what things look like from the perspective of the pot smoker. I know we don't have our phone line up right now. We're going to get that moving forward. Sometime this month, we'll get that taken care of. Because I do want to resuscitate hour two as being a talk radio hour. So we can talk about politics. We can talk about culture, whatever we want to talk about. And it will be the perspective of tokers. That's going to be my goal for this show. So being that we're in the middle of a hugely important U.S. presidential election, I might talk about the presidential election some. So when we come back, I want to I want to go more into it and on more of a meta level though. More of the level of disagree with me all you like. You can you can disagree with me all you like. But don't impugn how I got to my decisions. Try and respect that I'm not duped by anybody. I'm not fooled. I'm not naive. This ain't my first rodeo, folks. I've gone through a very exhaustive and contemplative process to get to my decision, like I always do. So at least give me that respect. All right, we'll be right back just after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. 
PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Senator Mark Matson of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state. Representative Lou Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent possession offenses. State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go from personal use to commercial use? It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Nine after the hour. And following up on my rant... And if you missed the first hour, talked about how uh, the, the thought processes I had to go through to end up supporting I-502. And it was tough because I had staked out a position that I was against 502. I had already staked out positions that I was vehemently against per se DUIDs and very much in favor of home grow. But then overcame that to eventually support I-502. And it cost me friendships, and it cost me standing in my career, and it was hard. It was a very difficult thing for me to have to do. Well, likewise, this has been very difficult for me to get past my Bernie or bus stance and switch to supporting Hillary Clinton and jump right past Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, any of that stuff, and jump right to uh, Hillary Clinton. And I hope my listeners and readers understand that, and it's partially my fault. I wrote this piece in Huffington Post, and I said, you know, President Obama cured this Bernie or Buster, which leaves the impression that I was completely Bernie or Bust until I saw President Obama and his magical oration, you know, hypnotize me. I'll be hypnotized. No, it's, I'm, I'm sorry I made that implication in the, in the title. It was because it was just after a speech and, you know, clickbait, looking, looking for getting hits, really, uh, because it's not the way it happened. This has been happening since early June, since it was approaching the California primary and looking increasingly like whether it's fair or not, Bernie Sanders was going to get screwed out of the nomination for that whole this whole time, seven weeks or so. 
my mind has been churning on this, thinking about this. And understand, the position I've staked, I staked on Bernie or Bust was a much more visible position than my stands on 5 Nanogram or No Home Grow. The piece I wrote, wrote on Huffington Post, the thing, uh, you know, I don't vote for Republicans. I came up with my list of 25 things I hate about Hillary Clinton on it and another you know, few thousand words after that justifying you know, why I would never support her, never vote for Hillary Clinton. She's evil, right? Very well-received piece. Hundreds of thousands of shares. Probably the most shared thing I've written, I'd imagine. It got me interviews in the British press. I had the uh, the UK Independent calling me. I had numerous news outlets calling me. I got quoted around the country, around the world on this. So I'd staked out a pretty damn <laughs> solid position at that point as being a Bernie, Bernie or bust guy, compounded by the fact that I am your stereotypical cisgendered heterosexual white male, Mr. Privilege Decathlon here. So I'd already stuck myself in that spot and, and took heat for being a Bernie bro and took heat from lots of people after the primaries were over and all that, but stuck with it publicly for that point. But as I was there, after the California primary, my mind starts working on this stuff, starts thinking about it, starts working through all the scenarios. And as I was getting attacked, because I was getting attacked, I was getting the Bernie bro attacks. I was getting the how dare, how could you let Trump attacks, you know, Trumpocalypse attacks, I'll call them. I was getting them all. And you know me, I look shit up. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I will dig in. I would rather be strongly wrong than weakly right, you know? So I started doing my due diligence like all right fuckers i'll show you tell me that i'm a privilege this tell me that i'm a helping trump that tell me that i'll show you so i started researching started doing my here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna write this cool ass essay i'm gonna go back and find these historical examples that prove my point that the only way you can shift and move uh the political party is by rebelling against it and forcing it to have to tack back your way. I'll go find the historical examples for that. And then I'll go back and I'll find some statistics and, and I'll look back at the previous Republican administrations and prove that, Hey, you were, were demonizing about how bad it could be, but how bad was it really? And show, you know, how the re- Democrats were just as bad on these other things. I'll get that all stacked up. I'll have hyperlinks on this fucker. It will just be ironclad bulletproof Bernie or bust. And then I found I couldn't do it. I found I could not come up with the scenario that got me from a Trump administration to what I wanted. Better than I could get there with a Hillary Clinton administration to what I wanted. I found I couldn't come up with the plausible scenario by which the Libertarian or Green Party possibly wins the presidency couldn't find a historical analog that's even close the closest things i found were places where a third party candidate siphoned up off enough votes from the majority party that the minority party was able to win every time every time the 2000 election you get the guy who won less popular votes winning the election. The 1992 election, Ross Perot siphons enough off George W. Bush that Clinton gets in with a 43% plurality. 57% of the country didn't want that president. 
I can look back to uh, Wallace uh, back in the 72, 68, I guess it was. Where again, Nixon gets in with 47%. Most of the country did not want Nixon. I can take it back to uh, the 1800s, if you like. I can take it. And what I found is I started researching the history of the presidency and the politics of America is that it's not that we wanted a two-party system. It's that the rules we have in play guarantee a two-party system. At first, there was no parties. At first, there was George Washington. There was George Washington, and we were all part of the American Party. And George Washington won the first two elections. But right from that point, there began a division in America between Federalists, which was John Adams and Alexander Hamilton, these guys that thought there ought to be a strong central government. And then you had the Democratic Republicans, which were Thomas Jefferson. And those guys that thought, no, no, we ought to have you know, states, you know, limited federal government, states ought to be you know, running the, basically running the show. And from that point on, we got one Federalist president, John Adams, number three. And then the next five or seven, I think it's like the next seven elections went to the Democratic Republicans. The Democratic Republicans became so powerful a political party, the Federalists faded away. And that the, the factions then became in between amongst the Democratic Republicans of the time. Southern Democratic Republicans, Northern Democratic Republicans, Eastern Democratic Republicans, Western Democratic Republicans, but they're all Democratic Republicans. So much so that in a few of those elections, it was only Democratic Republicans that were running or Democratic Republican who ran unopposed. No, uh, uh, can you imagine a presidential election where the president was running unopposed? We had a couple of those. And so what happened? The Democratic Republicans eventually... Once they became so big, they split into two halves. Andrew Jackson, 1828, takes the Democrats with him. He, they become the Democrats. And the new party on the other side forms and becomes the Whigs. Three parties didn't form. Four parties didn't form. Two major parties formed. Democrats and Whigs. Democrats won most of those elections, the next seven or so, uh, with two uh, wigs in between. And then we get up to the point where we get Abraham Lincoln. Now, leading up 1852 and 1856, there are two presidential elections at, during which the parties morphed. The Whigs faded away. And then you ended up with Democrats and Republicans. And then the Democrats, because of slavery, started splitting into Northern and Southern Democrats. And that split between the Democrats who were the majority party? Remember, they'd won like the last seven elections or so. The split between the Democrats is what allowed Lincoln to win the election of 1860. And then from that point, Republicans were presidents for like the next five, six elections. And from that point on, we never get any stretch of administrations that go any more than about four terms. And in the last modern era, my lifetime, never longer than three terms. Reagan, Bush, those three terms, one party was in charge. So the things I learned from doing this research was that third parties always cause the second party to win. All third parties do is hurt the first party. Number two, that new parties don't form 
until the first party splits has to become two separate parties, but not a separate party outside, but from within it splits from within. And when it splits from within, it cedes power over to the other party for five or six elections because both tiny little parties, the weak in in this metaphor, the example would be the weakened Democrats and the newly resurgent greens in that scenario. There's five or six elections for the other party to keep winning because it's all solidified. It's all that side. It's all the righties on that side voting Republican while the greens and the Dems, either the Dems fade away to the point where the greens can be the big party or the greens fade away where the Dems can be the big party. But it takes three, four, five elections before that happens. So I tried. I really did. I didn't want to have to reverse my stance on Bernie or Bust after being quoted in the British media and elsewhere. I didn't want to be coming back to my fans. Freaking Mark Emery is all up in my shit now. And I love Mark Emery. I didn't want to have to do that. But when I found I was wrong, when I found I was basing my arguments in emotion and if only and magic bullet thinking, when I, when I found that the consequences of what I was arguing for were going to set back all the things I believed in far more. Well, I frickin' <laughs> Sometimes Lieber Mater's just so perfect, isn't she? When I found I was in the wrong and my advocacy could cause terrible things to happen, not just within my sphere of the marijuana community both in so many other spheres that I care about I could not not change my position alright happy 420 everyone we have your smoking section right here this is the cannabis radio network Thousands of cannabis professionals convened this August in Portland, Oregon, to the city responsible for half a billion dollars in cannabis commerce. The Portland Expo Center hosts Indo Expo, August 6th and 7th. Indo Expo has seed to sale covered all weekend long with educational seminars and over 250 exhibitors, lights, nutrients, trimmers, extractors, greenhouses, cutting edge grow gear, genetics, smoking accessories, and more. Free admission for buyers, store owners, and MJ industry professionals. Visit www.indoexpo.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I beat China all the time. Okay, maybe you're high, too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. 
in the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 23 after the hour. And a couple other points that I uh, failed to get into the rant today talking about i-502 you know i made the point about how one of the important things about i-502 was its timing that it was you know would be the first marijuana legalization along with colorado that had a lot to do with my decision if i-502 were being run today in say oh let me pick a state that's a pretty good marijuana state uh new york i don't know if new york's a good example uh (laughs) Rhode Island. Let's pick Rhode Island. Pretty friendly state. Vermont. Pretty friendly state for marijuana. If one of those states were proposing I-502 right now in in their election, a pretty progressive marijuana state, I might be persuaded to be against it for it having its five nanograms and its per se DUID. Because at this point, right, where we've got four legal states in the past 10 marijuana legalization polls coming up as a uh, uh, support, you know, majority support nas- nationally, I could probably be swayed into voting against it at this point because of the context. We already got four legal states and the momentum's on our side. And that's pretty likely a Vermont or a Rhode Island could put something together in 2018 or 2020 and, and get legalization. I might come over to that. It'd be an easier argument now then obviously it was in 2012 when it's the first state and you got it. You've got to start somewhere, right? And if we were talking about voting for an I-502 in Vermont or Rhode Island in 2020, after we've got nine legal states, I would definitely be against it because we'd have nine states where only one of them has per se and no home grow and the rest of it. Well, wait a minute. The Nevada has no home grow if it's got a halo. Anyway, let's not make this too complex. (laughs) The point being, context matters. Context matters a lot. So when we're talking about Hillary Clinton running for president, she's the first woman to be nominated. And while that's just symbolic, it's incredibly important symbolism especially in contrast to the opposite of that. Donald Trump is the opposite of the first woman president. He's the first white male chauvinist president. Overtly, let's say. <laughs> like, we, of course, we go back to the 17, 1800s, obviously. Different story. Uh, modern times, let's say. <laughs> Got to be careful with my historical analogies. But um, anyway, this election in the, in the eyes of the world and in the hearts of Americans and as far as proclaiming who we are as a people comes down to a competent lifelong public servant and the first female nominated by a major party versus an idiot blowhard narcissist sociopath 
who's a proven business failure at everything but reality TV. When it comes to success, Tila Tequila and Donald Trump succeeded at the same thing. The Situation and Snooki succeeded at the same thing Donald Trump was successful at. Reality show. And what kind of message does that send to the world? What kind of statement does that make? What mark does that set in history? That we as a generation, we as an electorate, would have to try to justify and explain for the rest of our lives. That the rest of the world would look at America and go, oh, so you picked... You picked the fascist clown over the first woman. Boy, how far you've come. And there's also some, somewhat of a symbolism of not only being the first woman president, but following the first black president. Kind of like how it was important both Colorado and Washington managed to pass. We are in a large scale if you look if you step back and look you know large scale view of humanity we're talking about generational swings of a of a kind of a cultural and social pendulum right and if you think about that swing from Ronald Reagan to Bill Clinton a hard swing to the right no on drugs you know ignoring aids all that and with Clinton, a, a slight swing back, there was some good things in Bill Clinton's administration, right? We started swinging back for things like Americans with Disabilities Act. And, 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 but I'll agree, it didn't swing far enough. And then we get George W. Bush, and it swings even farther right than Ronald Reagan, for God's sake. Oh, my God, I lived through Reagan. I didn't think that was going to be possible. But, yeah, swung even farther right. And so we get Obama in office. And Obama had a little swing back to the left, but not much, uh, but some we got Obamacare. We got Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act. We got a, a, a peace, you know, a nuclear agreement with Iran. We got, uh, you know, some of the economy responded. At least we weren't going to go swirling into the toilet like we were under Bush. Yeah, I know it didn't go far enough for working people and didn't do enough. And he's still spying and drone bombing and all that stuff. It's all awful. Yeah, but. At least we were headed back toward the left a, a little, weren't we? So now, after swinging back a little left, could we maybe elect someone who swings back a little left even a little more? Or do we give it to Trump and keep swinging it farther right? To the, we're getting into the territory on the right where Nazis live, man, where Aryan nations live. White supremacists like this guy. They think he's their voice. I don't want to swing that direction, even for four years. It's four, it'd be four years too many. And, and I'll get people that come back on me with this. They're like, oh, you're just being, you're just arguing out of fear. I won't vote out of fear. That's fear-based voting. That's fear-based tactics. So? So what if it is? There are some things people should rightfully be fearful of and the rise of right-wing demagoguery in the United States of America is definitely worth being fearful of. I saw a meme going through on uh, Facebook the other day and it said, white guy, 
Well, I don't know. I don't know if Trump would be so bad or if Clinton would be so bad. What do you think? And then it says, woman, Trump, gay man, Trump, Muslim, Trump, immigrant, Trump, uh, whatever the old one is, Trump, right? All the responses are Trump. And then white guy. Well, I don't know. It still, it still doesn't quite seem clear to me. I, <laughs> it's like, come on. Think about this. Think, think deeply about this. Now, there is a point to the argument of strategic voting. And so I've got two levels of thought on this. One level of thought is whatever you're doing, tell me you're not voting for Trump. I can respect you and our disagreement if you will tell me you're not voting for Trump. If you're voting for Trump, we got an issue. In fact, I got a friend on my Facebook page, guy from my hometown, known him since I was a kid, who's a who's a progressive. He uh, he often calls me out on being too conservative on things. He's a real progressive guy. Total Bernie Sanders supporter in Idaho <laughs> who tells me he's voting for Trump. Because fuck the DNC, we're going to burn it all down. We're going to show them how dare they cheat us out of our vote, those assholes. And we've got a real problem. I've got a real problem with this friend, and I'm calling him out on it. And uh, it's going to continue. So as long as you're telling me you're not voting for Trump, we can work with it. We can have a discussion. If you're voting for Trump, if you're purposefully trying to give this country President Trump, then fuck you. But if you're not voting for Trump, we got room to talk. So I got friends out there that tell me I can't vote for Hillary. I just cannot do it. Morally speaking, I cannot do it. And to me, it sounds like I just cannot vote for I-502. I just cannot do it. I will never support anything that institutes a five nanogram per se DUID. That's evil. That's wrong. That's junk science. I will never vote for it. That's what it sounds like to me now. And I know because I was one of the guys saying it. Remember, I, I struck out that I, stu- I set that position for myself since February for months. There's no way I could never vote for Hillary Clinton. I won't vote for Trump, but I will never vote for Hillary Clinton because she's too far below my standards. Okay, so let's work that out. And I'll give you the too long don't read on it. The too long don't read on it is you know where it goes. Trump or Clinton will be president. Gary Johnson's not going to be president. Jill Stein's not going to be president. They're not going to be president. And you can pretend, but but if Johnson got into the debates, if only Johnson got into the debates, if only thinking, he would convince enough people to move over, magic bullet thinking, and then they'd win. Gary Johnson would win. Would he? Would Gary Johnson win? Have you worked out the math on that? Because you can go to sites like 272win.com, 270towin.com, 270towin, and they've got these little interactive maps. You can click on the states, and you can change them colors and, and set the electoral college. And you can go look at where the historical patterns are and where the voting demographics are. Now, one of the, the, the fantasies that I get from the third-party people is the fantasy – I saw this in a in – a, pie chart came across Facebook and it showed the one slice, the red slice for the Republicans, 
right? Here's the Republicans, and it's like 28%. And I don't know, I don't have the numbers exactly from the charts that I have in front of me, so I'm going off of numbers from Gallup. This is the latest Gallup poll. It says 28% of Americans identify themselves as Republican. So they get your red 28% slice. Then there's a blue slice, Democrats, and it's 28% as well. So you got that blue slice. And then... 28, 28, that's uh, what, 56, right? Then you got the other slice, the 44% over there, the bigger of the three slices, biggest of the three slices, colored green, that says independence, right? 44%. And then within the Democratic slice, that 28% slice of Democrats, there's another sub-slice within that slice that represents the 42% of the vote that Bernie Sanders got in the Democratic primary. 42% of 28% works out to 12%. So there's a little 12% slice there, Bernie voters. And the gist of the chart was that if the 44% independent and the 12% Bernie were added together, that's 56% and they'd win. And again, that's that same magical thinking. If only every one of our Facebook supporters collected one signature sheet with 10 signatures, we'd make the ballot. If only, because your if only is depending on all the independents. And remember, independents aren't a party. Independents largely vote Republican or Democrat. That same uh, Gallup that asked if you're Republican, independent, or Democrat, then asked, which way do you lean? For the independents, because there's not an independent candidate to vote for. They have to pick one, right? Which way do you lean? It works out 43% Democrat, 43% Republican. So 86% of the votes are in the Democratic-Republican pool, and 14% of the votes are in the third-party other write-in pool, 14%. So realistically, no, you're not starting off with the 44% of independents. You're starting off with the 14%. So that 14%, you've got to somehow convince people who believe in shit that Bernie Sanders believes in. You've got to convince people that believe in Bernie Sanders' agenda to join with those other side toward the Republican side of the people who agree more with Republicans typically and moderate. So you're going to have to build yourself a 54% slice that consists of hardcore, purity-minded Bernie or bust progressives and the moderate center independents that are sitting there and all of the 14% that vote third party or other and the other half of the independents that tend to go Republican. You got to come up with a party that attracts all those people. And there has to be only one of those other parties because if there's a second like Gary Johnson on the other side pulling those Republican votes, then what you get are two little third parties and a weakened second party because you took those 12% of Bernie voters out of that Democratic slice and just made the Republican slice the biggest slice. That's what got me to change my mind, people. The more I kept trying to defend my emotional stand based on my ideological purity, the more I found myself sounding like a true legalizer with if-onlys and magical bullets. And, well, we'll, this will teach them and we'll get something better next time. Yeah, remember what teaching 
the oligarchs and the monopolists about Prop 19 got them? Six more years of prohibition. Do you remember what teaching all of the no on issue three people in Ohio, you know, who said we couldn't have 10 gross. Remember what, what shooting that taught Ohio taught their legislature to come up with a really shitty medical marijuana program and forestall any legalization progress there for a long time. So I tried, I tried to defend it and I'm willing to listen to it. Now I'm willing to listen to the arguments back at me. Obviously, I've shown I can change my mind. Obviously, I've shown that given enough research and time, historical analogs and statistical data, I will come to what I believe is a reasoned conclusion. I hope you respect me enough to understand that I don't come to these decisions lightly, that I don't just, oh, Obama said pretty words, so I'm going to switch. No, (laughs) no, I thought long and hard about this stuff. And if you believe that I do, and if you believe that I come here every day to this show looking shit up, doing, doing my due diligence and my research on the marijuana issue, and even being honest about our issue when it doesn't always suit us, you know, admitting that, yeah, not all the use is medical. You can overdab. You can overdo it. If you trust me on that level, please trust me that I'm not just scared or naive or, you know, flip floppy, that I really have good reasons for doing this. and I want to help you understand them. All right, we'll talk about strategic voting in the next segment. Like, if you're in Idaho, fuck it, vote for who you want to. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay. Tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. 
With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. You're tuned into the Rush Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. 43 after the hour. Uh, quick reminder, Stoner Jesus coming up at the top of the hour, live from Stoner Heaven here on CannabisRadio.com. And this weekend, I will be at the Indo Expo here in Portland, Oregon at the Expo Center as a part of Cannabis Radio's huge broadcast booth. we got a 20 by 30 booth, folks. Biggest booth I've ever been a part of <laughs> at any of these cannabis events in my 30 year 30 years, 10 years, 30-foot booth, 10 years, Russ. In my 10 years as a cannabis activist, this will be my uh, the biggest show. So I'm really looking forward to it this weekend. Hope to see some of you there at the Indo Expo at the Portland Expo Center. Following weekend, I will be in Boise, Idaho, August 14th, deep in the heart of Red State, Idaho, one of the eight remaining full prohibition states. I'll be in Boise, Idaho for the Boise Hemp Fest. I'll be speaking two or three times, I believe. So hope to see you there. And then the following weekend, the third weekend, the 25th anniversary Seattle Hemp Fest. I'll be speaking there as well and uh, hope to see you there. So, all right, let's get back to uh, political discussion here. And um, a couple of thoughts. Um, one is the thought about strategic voting. Because I, I got to admit that in 2000, I voted for Ralph Nader. And the reason I did is because I lived in Idaho at the time. And it doesn't matter who I voted for in Idaho. Uh, George W. Bush was going to win Idaho by 65% or more. There was just no shot at hell Ralph Nader's going to win. So I voted for Ralph Nader because I, I was kind of radical at that time, thinking Bush and Gore, they're just two sides of the same coin. It's the same corporate influences. They're both bought by Wall Street and big oil and the military industrial complex. I had that same, same stance. There's just no Bernie. It was just Ralph Nader to go for, right? And he got 2.7% of the vote. And part of why I supported Ralph Nader back in that day is because I got so singularly focused on the corruption in politics, the corruption in politics, the big money, the, the corporate influence, they're all corporate, the corruption in politics, Bush and Gore, they're exactly the same on that issue. I put these blinders on and didn't pay much heed to the fact that, well, they are quite different on the global climate change issue. They are quite different on and then start you know listing a whole bunch of issues. Al Gore wasn't going to create an office of faith-based initiatives, right? <laughs> Al Gore wasn't going to let a whole bunch of black people drown in New Orleans, right? There's whole bunches of things you could, even before those things happened, where you could clearly see Al Gore was the qualified candidate, if boring, if wonky, a little boring and wonky. And, and yeah, 
you know, he got some Wall Street on him. That's for sure, right? No doubt about that. Not not perfect in any way. But clearly a better choice than George W. Bush was. Clearly. I mean, George W. Bush, a man out of his depth. And, and this is a guy who'd been a governor, right? And even as a governor, we looked at him and went, yeah, he's kind of dumb. <laughs> I don't know about this guy, right? So back then in 2000, I thought, yeah, but if we – if we vote for Gore, all we're doing is showing the Democrats that we support what Bill Clinton's done with the crime bill and the Telco Act and all the terrible things the Democrats have done. And if we vote for Nader, that'll move the Democrats. It'll push them to the left. It'll force them to recalibrate because they'll have lost that election. And then they'll go look at those Nader votes. And they'll go, well, wait a minute. Look at those 2.7% Nader votes. And, of course, you don't know what it is then, but millions of Nader votes, right? They, well, obviously, we're not appealing enough to the left wing. And so what we've got to do is recalibrate and make sure we, that we become more progressive for the next election so we can win. And so in 2004, the Democrats nominated John Kerry. Not John Edwards, who ran against him on a very much more to America's progressive type platform. Not uh, not any of the more. Pre- no, they went with the more conservative guy because the president who won in 2000 was able to push the country into a more conservative direction. And so the Democrats went that way, trying to win and get votes. That 2.7 percent of Nader votes didn't teach Democrats jack shit. And then where was Ralph Nader in 2004? Oh, he was he was uh, not interested in running. He uh, declined the Green nomination, didn't want to do that again. And uh, the Greens got 0.7% of the vote. And George W. Bush won with a majority. He got the majority, though. He got over 50% of the popular vote that year. So it didn't look like that worked. (laughs) So the one example I have in my own lifetime of when I felt that the two candidates were exactly alike and Punishing the one candidate would show them didn't turn out that way. Didn't work out that way. And then when we finally got Democrats, we finally got uh, uh, Barack Obama. And believe me, I've been disappointed in Obama. He sold me a whole lot of hope and change in 2008 that I didn't see come through. But also, the country had swung so far to the right that he was hamstrung uh, – even when he had a majority in the Senate and the Congress, which he had his first two years, so many of those Democrats had moved so far right in some of their rural districts to try to keep up with getting swamped by Republicans that they couldn't extend themselves to things like single-payer health care. Barney Frank was on Real Time the other day talking about, we just didn't have the votes. We couldn't do it. Even when we had the majority, we couldn't have the votes. Why? Because these are long-term swings. Long-term swings in how the country feels about things and how they look at America and what it is. Now, in the past eight years, America has gone from being George W. Bush's America that hated gay people and passed 30 out of 30 anti-gay initiatives through the state legislatures to a country under Obama that has awoken to gay marriage being fine, supporting gay people, openly championing them to the point where even the Republicans at the Republican convention were applauding LGBT uh, positive lines. That's the kind of swings a president can help just in their rhetoric, just in their attitude, just in who they're appointing to the most minute of offices that we don't even ever think of. But there is an argument to be made Let me get to the strategic voting argument. 
So I, I voted for Nader in 2000, and it was a safe thing for me to do because it couldn't have possibly tipped the scales of the election. So some of you out there are thinking, well, fuck the Democrats. I live in California, and there's no way Hillary's going to lose California. So I can vote for the Green Party. I can vote for Jill Stein because that'll help her get the, the get, get them up to the five percent they need to get matching funds to move for the next election. Blah blah blah. I had I I thought along these same lines, folks. I tr- this is another one of the arguments I kept trying to find my ironclad defense of and could not find it. But this was my thought. I thought the same thing, man. I thought, well, you know, if you live in a California or you live in you know fucking Kansas or Massachusetts, any of these states that are totally safe then go ahead and vote your conscience and, and everything will be fine, right? And then I started looking at some of the polls. Like, I looked at the poll here in Oregon, and it was 43 Clinton, 40 Trump. And then a significant, like a 13% Johnson and a six, 3 or 6% Stein or something like that. It's like, holy shit, these people might actually turn Oregon into a red state. Three points difference between Clinton and Trump in Oregon. <laughs> That's some scary shit, people. So I'm a little less sanguine on the idea of how many safe states there are. Maybe California's safe. Maybe Massachusetts is safe for the Democrats. Maybe, you know, an Arkansas or a Kansas is safe for the Republicans. And you can make that electoral you know, calculation in your head. My vote's not going to hurt Clinton from beating Trump. And please, I do hope you at least, well, no, let me, that's a, <laughs> let me not divert yet. So this idea that you'll, you'll cast this, this uh, strategic vote, right? The idea that, okay, if you live in a swing state, if you live in Ohio or Pennsylvania or something like that, Florida, vote, I'll, I'll hold my nose and vote for Clinton just so that Trump doesn't win. But I'm going to tell people that live in these other states that are safe to go ahead and vote for Vote your conscience. Vote for Johnson. Vote for Stein. Here's my problem with that thinking. A president, when they're elected, sets the tone for the country, sets the agenda, kind of sets our vision. So Hillary Clinton, should she win, is someone whose vision is kind of rightward. I've made many, many points about it. Even her logo has an arrow pointing to the right. Okay, so that's her natural inclination. If she gets into office with only a plurality, only a plurality where she's got like a 43, like her husband did when Ross Perot got 19% of the vote, Bill Clinton got in with 43%. What direction did Bill Clinton move when he had that plurality? He was forced to govern as a much more centrist than, than maybe he would have been with a majority. And when the, the question being posed on the international stage is pick the first woman or pick the racist demagogue, I want the racist demagogue to lose as badly as possible. I want, because it's not Trump that's the problem so much as it's that it's Trump's followers and and the movement that could be birthed by this. That's the problem is that there's 13 million Republican voters out there who took a look at Donald Trump and said, yep, that guy should be president. 
I don't want those people thinking they have any shot at anything or any sort of levers or any political power or any ear listening to their demands in Washington and filling all the cabinet positions from you know, Secretary of State, Treasury, Defense, Justice, Interior, Agriculture, Health, Human Services, Transportation, Education, Energy, Veterans Affairs, Homeland Security, all the ju- open judgeships on the district courts, the open judgeships on the appeals courts, and the open judge justices on the Supreme Court. And it's not, you know, people look at Merrick Garland in that one seat that has to be filled in the Supreme Court or the possibility of three justices in their 80s in the first Trump term that might have to be filled and don't even consider all of the federal positions, bureaucratic positions and uh, district courts and justices or judges, appeals court judges that remain vacant, have been vacant throughout the Obama administration because the Republicans have obstructed him. We've got backlogs in our courts and in some of our departments because Republicans refuse to seat any of his appointments. And so there's already a ton of empty spots out there and you're going to let Trump get in and possibly fill all those. Do you know how many individual decisions get made that have to do with the, uh, with, with the marijuana industry that uh, would be impacted by whoever runs the financial security department or the FDIC or the EPA or the FDA or National Institutes of Drug Abuse or the Office of National Drug Control Policy or the DEA administrator or the head of the CDC or the he- head of uh, the Department of Agriculture. I mean – All of these people, you know, I have someone on my chat that's saying, well, Trump says he'll let the states just be – let the states legalize if they want to. Yeah, just like Obama said, we're not going to use federal resources to go after medical marijuana. And then the U.S. attorneys that were still in place who thought differently, even after given a memo that said knock that shit off, kept prosecuting people. The kettle falls five. This is not a game. This is every level of the marijuana legalization movement, the financial ends, the tax ends, the agricultural ends, decisions on courts as to whether or not cannabis can be used as a religious sacrament, decisions on how importation of hemp seed from foreign countries ought to proceed, all of these things. All of these things are affected by who the next president puts into all of those offices. All right, well, (laughs) this is going to be a fun next few months, folks. And remember, if you only want the weed stuff, just listen to Hour 1. Hour 1 is going to be 95% weed stuff. (laughs) For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke.